You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. So I first arrived to Circle of Hope in 2004, and one of the things that kept me here was our insistent protest of war because the United States had just uh, shocked and awed Baghdad. And as, as you might know, Baghdad is still on fire. So it's been a, it's been a long time, um, you know, now that I'm recalling it. And I actually stayed here because you, you people were people of peace. And I was looking for Christians that um, were uh, for peace and against war. And so... I guess there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's really interesting to be alive in 2020, Happy New Year, um, where things don't feel so new all the time, right? It kind of it sounds familiar too, you know, and I'm, as you're watching the TV, the same people are showing up again to tell us why we need to, uh, um, why it was okay to... Uh, kill Soleimani, the, uh, one of the top leaders in Iran. Did you follow this news story this weekend? Killing him while he was in Iraq without the host country knowing. So it's, a, it's an act. And it's interesting to then consider, to hear really the consistent uh, justification for armed conflict. It's almost like uh, they have the op-eds ready to publish right when, uh, right when they start hearing the, the war drums. And it's, it's interesting to consider Epiphany on this day when the Magi from Persia, by the way, now Iran, um, visit the baby savior and we get a glimpse of what peace and reconciliation our incarnate Lord can bring and brings today. You know, we get a glimpse outside of ideological abstraction, but in a tangible, real, the the tangible, real reality of Jesus' birth lets us know, no, another way is possible. We don't have to do it this way, the way they're telling us that we have to. No, we can do something different. And it feels absurd to say that. You know, uh, it feels absurd to talk about peace and nonviolence. Right, that's the uh, that's the crazy thing. That's the uh, magical thing. That's the thing that isn't rooted in tangible reality. You're not being serious. Peace is impractical. Right? I've heard this my whole life. But I I have faith in a higher power that doesn't sort through the world with such practical means, and so my uh, my uh, insistence on protesting military conflict is rooted fundamentally in my faith in Jesus because I have another way of thinking about the whole world brought to me by God birthed into the world as a baby and then worshipped by these outsiders. You know, we get a glimpse while we're still waiting for and assured that peace is possible when we look at... um, the Magi visiting Jesus on Epiphany. Epiphany is a story that celebrates the the revelation and the manifestation of Jesus to the whole world. It marks this time when the Magi, those mysterious people from the East, 
faraway land, somewhere different than we are. That's all, that's all we kind of know. Came to visit Jesus. So Epiphany is the moment when uh, the revolution that Jesus brings moves from becoming a localized one in Bethlehem to a globalized one across the whole world. That's the significance of the event, or at least part of the significance of the event, because the Jewish people are awaiting their Savior. The Jewish people are awaiting their Savior, and they know someone is coming. They know something is coming because God's been faithful to them for all of time. The thing that rings true, the one theological point, the one consistent virtue of God is that God is faithful, and God's love endures forever. So they're, they, they, they are waiting expectantly for the, the assurance of their liberation. And so when Jesus comes, even if Jesus comes in a way that is unusual to them as a baby, and by the way, let us remember when Jesus returns, he will probably surprise us as much as he did those Jewish people that time. So, so stay, stay alert, stay away, keep looking for how Jesus will return because very well may come in a different, uh, may surprise us, right? That's what the, when the Bible says, be ready, be waiting for Jesus' return. That's what it means. It's going to surprise you again, and you probably can't um, figure it all out now, and that's okay. He came as a baby before, and that was very surprising. They were still expecting him nevertheless, even though he came in an unusual way. The rest of the world really had no idea that God was going to deliver them too. And so that's what makes this event significant. It was... It was Israel's previous occupying force, the, one, the ones that held them in empire, the Persians that came to genuflect and worship this baby savior. Something new is happening. Something different is happening. We can see that, right? Matthew tells the story. And I love that it's Matthew. Matthew is one of the gospel writers, and, I, and it's in his gospel that has the story. And I love that it's Matthew because Matthew's gospel is oriented toward Jewish people, towards people like him, probably writing to uh, Christians in Jerusalem. And in his telling, he is expanding their understanding of the kingship of Jesus to the whole world. They know Jesus is king, and now he's expanding it to the whole world, both expanding its reign and its intensity, and its capacity, but also expanding their hearts for who is included in this kingdom. Matthew includes this story in the gospel as a way, in my opinion, of making it inclusive of Gentiles, foreigners, people that aren't Jewish. He's writing to a mainly Jewish audience, and this is the way he wants to influence them. He's, he's challenging their prejudice against Gentiles in this story. Gentile just means anybody that isn't Jewish. But also, he's challenging their prejudice against Herod's throne too, right? Their earthly power as well, or what it symbolizes. Matthew is challenging the reigning authority of the people he's writing to when he tells this story, and he is rightly suggesting that Jesus is now king and they should change their allegiance and undo their prejudice. So that's why I can so fervently talk about my commitment to peace, because Jesus is my king, not another earthly ruler. That's what, that's, what I, that's what I hold on to. That's who I will be led by. So let's, let's read the passage. It's a couple, it's, it's 12 verses, so not too long. Someone out loud, read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Long way around the sea. The Magi were probably, uh, thanks Kate for reading that, the Magi were probably a uh, priestly cast of astrologers coming from the east, right? I'm saying Persia, Babylon, Persia, somewhere in the, uh, somewhere in the Parthian Empire, if you want a map. Just so, I'm, I'm still struck by this because we, you've seen this map all week just with different countries on it, right? The only way Americans learn geography is by going to war. So, so maybe, this is, maybe this is helping us. <laughs> Sorry, you can tell that I'm thinking about this, and I'm just, just need to talk about it. Um, they, so they came from this area, somewhere in the Parthian Empire, and they had special, mysterious powers and aura around them, like, like Kristen was giving us this quote about how, how unique their whole perspective on the world was. So they had a sort of sorcerer's power, perhaps, or, 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 or some special power for, for some reason, and Rome was generally friends with Persian astrologists. Even King Herod was friendly to visitors from so-called pagan cities, and so their arrival wasn't really weird to the powers. And their encounter, but, but their encounter with Jesus changes how they see the world altogether and who they're loyal to. You know, Matthew is not condoning astrology but here he even extends Christ's inclusion, Christ's inclusion to people of other ethnicities and other faith traditions. You're seeing the expanse happening. Right here in, in, in the most Jewish gospel. Everyone from all over the world can come and kneel before the king. Why can they? Because that act changes them and forms them into something new altogether. The announcement of the birth of Jesus, the birth of the king of the Jews, to the political king of the Jews disturbs him, right? And, and the writer Matthew says, and disturbs all of Jerusalem. Once again, you see the announcement of Jesus discomforts Herod in Jerusalem, and it effectively changes them too and impacts them too. Herod wants to know exactly where Jesus is because Jesus threatens him. The baby threatens the king. Herod's rule will become even more tyrannical if you keep reading. When he decrees to kill all the, all the uh, Bethlehem boys. This motif is common in the Bible. 
Same thing happens to Moses when Pharaoh is threatened by him in Exodus, right? This is what you do. This is what the, this is what the ruling power does, right? And that, by the way, is the worldly practicality. That's what's practical. No, we, I see it a little different. Herod is not only threatened by the rule of Jesus, but by its own legitimacy. The Magi tell the current king of the Jews that they found a child who was what? Born the king of the Jews. Why is being born the king of the Jews important? Because that's a direct challenge to the throne of Herod since he was not born king. He was born of a different ethnicity by birth and won the throne through violence and conquest. So Jesus being born the king of the Jews is a threat to the throne of Herod just by being born and being named by these mysterious, respectable astrologers from the East, being in mind that that even though Jesus is the rightful ruler, Matthew knows the cultural and political shift that Jesus is making is not, is not popular among the Jewish people who might have valued the stability of King Herod's rule more than they value the deliverance of Jesus' rule. Because Herod, for all of his evil, did bring relative stability to the area that he was the governor for. Herod was a king that brought national pride to Jewish people. He had, a ma- he had massive construction projects that brought pride to the community, even if it was under Roman rule. And that's really kind of what the Jewish people are after, a sense of national identity, a sense of who we are, a king that would bring us together as one nation, right? Judaism wasn't illegal in Rome, and even though the faith had suffered a lot of a Hellenistic or Roman-Greek assimilation, most Jews were fine with that. It was only the very radical Jewish people that resisted Hellenistic influence. The problem, of course, was that those radical people wanted a purer faith, not necessarily a more inclusive one. So they, aren't looking for, uh, they weren't looking for a new king or something new, but an old one, rather. So even those conservative Jewish people weren't welcoming of Jesus either. And so here, G- Matthew isn't, um, isn't eschewing assimilation, but rather declaring that Jesus is the one to whom we assimilate. The one to whom we uh, become more like, we change, adapt. Right? That's, that's what the writer is telling us to assimilate, to become more like Jesus. That's what's happening here. And yes, all the Jews need to do that, and all the Gentiles, even from Persia. The star moves to guide them there. Not unlike the pillar of of cloud and fire in the Old Testament guiding the Jewish people to their promised land, the Magi find Jesus as they look to the sky, and they're overjoyed and they worship Jesus. They give the king gifts, ones that are typical for kings, costly, used in royal courts. And then, as we've been saying all evening, they go home another way. They're changed. They live and they leave differently from when they came. They are changed people. That pattern, their pattern is disrupted. Their way of life is disrupted. Their encounter with the king changes everything. The Magi are kind of supernatural people who need a supernatural occurrence, you might say, a dream, to tell them to go home another way. Matthew is being gracious with his audience. 
You know, if you're not changed, that's okay. You might need a little extra push. Because it's hard to see the world differently. It's hard to change. It's hard to grow. And I, and I don't just mean, you know, sociopolitically, as I kind of started. You know how hard it is for you to change. Even though you even are conscious of how you might. It's hard to do it. It's hard to undo habits. But everyone's encounter with the king changes them. It changes the story. It opens it up to all of us. No longer are we loyal to our ethnicity, our upbringing, our traditions, our families of origin even. A new family is made. A new humanity is made. That's what this is. That's what we're working on. Right? There's nothing new under the sun. The United States is starting another war. This is a hard environment to change in. It really does feel very similar. It's hard to change. It's hard to grow. It's hard to try something new. It's hard to do things differently. Visiting Jesus is an opportunity to see yourself and the whole world differently. The Magi are moved by Jesus and they go home another way. So let's visit Jesus ourselves and go home another way. Be transformed again. Be touched again. You know, I can say for my part, Jesus has changed and shaped me in numerous ways in my life. You know, my faith is uh, much more than just an abstraction or a series of beliefs. You know, it's, it's much more than doctrine or study, even though I like to do that. It's much more than, than even the disciplines of worship and prayer. Jesus has had effect, uh, an effect on who I am and who I say I am. And he's shaped how I think, how I feel, how I act, how I exist, how I am, right? How I be. Jesus has changed me that way. And that's the securest place my faith could be. Security comes from that kind of uh, um, identification with Jesus. A lot of people talk to me about losing faith. That's okay to talk about it, to doubt, to wonder. You know, Circle of Hope kind of attracts people like that, and I think that's cool. I'm glad we do. I'm glad you feel safe here. That's what we're trying to work on. But for my part, if I, if I lost mine, I'd, I'd really wonder who I was, how I came to be. Jesus has shaped my life and my being so much and has, has made such a claim upon me So much of a change in me that I can't let it go. I can't let him go. My faith isn't secure because it's abstractly true. But because the person of Jesus is true to me. You know, because you might be hearing the story and you might be wondering, well, some of you are wondering how historically accurate is the story? And that would be how, that, that, could, that could mess with your faith. Or did a star really move? You know, what, are we ta- like, what, 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 what does that even mean? You know, I'm not, th- those kind of abstractions don't catch me so much because of the claim Jesus has made on me. You know, my faith isn't secure because it's abstractly true. It's tangibly true in me. Jesus has impacted my life so much, my thinking, my lifestyle, all of it. I can't let it go. Right? Even my response to a military conflict 
is is Jesus brings that out of me too. You know, it's all it's all connected. So that's that's what I hope the kind of change we're working on is. You know, and, and many of you and many of us are really the same way. The convictions we have, um, even the philosophies that you sometimes use to deconstruct your faith, come from Jesus too. So l- look for the claim that Jesus has made on you and look how it's changed you. And look for other ways to change as well. Be aware that your encounter with God will modify you will change you, right? Change the way you go home. Change the scenery. Change the attitude. Change your patterns. Change your mind. Change the way you say things. Change the way you do things. It's hard to do that because it's so easy to get stuck in a rut. My idea for today, be affected by one another, live in community, Build a new family with us. Include your family in ours. Be a new tribe with us. See yourself as new. A new humanity, right? Formed right there where the Jewish people are accepting these pagan sorcerers and the pagan sorcerers are finding their um, salvation in Jesus. Our new humanity does not erase our differences but it unites us despite them. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.